Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. In this particular case, somebody has conjured up child abuse. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part two of the Saul Contreras story. The man convicted the murder of his young one-year-old niece, a crime he says he didn't commit. In part one, Sol talked us through the day's events that saw him staying home to take care of two of the children that lived with him, his wife and his sister-in-law. One of them was little Jasmine, his brother and sister-in-law's child. He says she'd been showing signs all day of being unwell and had not been herself. While the other members of the family went out, he stayed home and took care of Jasmine and another child. Jasmine was napping on the couch He was in the other room, he hears a loud noise and goes to investigate and finds that Jasmine has fallen from the couch. After checking her over to make sure she had no visible injuries, he changed her nappy, consoled her until she calmed down and took her upstairs to sleep. He would continue to check on the two kids through the evening while watching a basketball game until the rest of the occupants of the home returned, including Jasmine's mother, Claudia who would suddenly discover her daughter in her room, not breathing. Of course, the kids came running into the room, telling me all about their trip to to the pizza place and how much fun they had and everything. And uh, Claudia came over and checked on me as well. And then... uh, that uh, Jasmine had fallen off the couch, but I had checked on her and she was fine. There was no pulse or anything. So once she fell asleep, I took her upstairs with uh, with Delilah. So she went to go check on them. Uh, but maybe 20 minutes later, she came downstairs crying, screaming. Oh my God, oh my God, she's not breathing. She's not breathing. What, what? She says, Jasmine's not breathing. I said, you, you gotta be kidding me. What, what do we, what? So I, you know, I, I, I did not understand what she was saying. Mm-hmm. So she's upstairs. She's not breathing. I said, I ran upstairs 
and then I started checking on her. I checked her for a pulse. I checked for to see if there was any breathing going on. Nothing. And so I began CPR. I began chest compressions, and I began giving her mouth to mouth, and um, I kept checking. I kept checking, and no pulse, no reaction. Um, pretty much, she was she was gone by then. She was gone. Which was <laughs> it, it was it was it was very hard <laughs> um, because she had just been laying in my chest earlier, you know. While Saul had been performing CPR on his baby niece, Susanna, her mother, had called nine one one, and eventually. The medics arrived on scene to take over. As soon as 911 came in, I was still doing chest compressions and mouth to mouth. As soon as the EMTs got there, they, they went upstairs and saw me doing that. They moved me out of the way and they started doing it themselves. And I overheard one of the guy, one of the girls or guys telling one of the girls, um, "There is no, 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 no pulse." Um, and so, I mean, I, like, like I said, I already knew. You know, I. I, I felt her, her body. Mm-hmm. I felt her and, and I was still in shock. I was like, no, no, she, she's, she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. And so they took her to, to the hospital immediately. So I went with them. The kids stayed there with us. And, and uh, I was trying to keep Daya calm. I was trying to keep the kids calm. Um, the police also, also got there. And so they started questioning me. They started asking me questions about it. Um, I told them pretty much what what I knew. You know, she fell on the couch. I checked her. There's no, there were no bumps. I, I mean, I kept her awake for a little bit, and then once she fell asleep, I took her upstairs. I kept checking on her, and she was fine. There was nothing I could see. You know what I mean? Other than her behavior right. earlier that morning, that that was mm-hmm. unusual. You know, that that would have led me to believe that she was sick, that she was something was wrong, other than her her behavior. And her diarrhea. Yeah, and her diarrhea, obviously, yeah. yeah. Which, like I said, I mentioned to Susanna, she was supposed to have called a doctor. Right. So you said you pretty much knew she was dead, but then were you actually... Well, I'm not going to say I knew she was dead. I yeah. just knew she didn't have a pulse and she was Got not breathing. Okay. But I was not accepting that she was dead. Got no, it. I, was, I was definitely not accepting that. And then how did you learn that she was... Um, when they got to the hospital and they started doing their 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 the first aid over there, um, Claudia called Susana on her cell phone, mm. and Susana let her know. Okay. And where were you and then? They were still in, in my house, in our house. Okay. And the, the officers were already there. They were, like I said, they were talking to me. They were asking me all kinds of questions about it. Um, they were asking me, they were interrogating me yeah. at the house, but okay. I did not realize that that's what they were doing. I, th- I figured they were trying to get, okay, what happened? Right. You know? um, but I did not know that they were targeting me at that moment, you know what I mean? So as Saul says, detectives on scene began to question him as to the events of that evening. Now, of course, there's certainly nothing unusual about that. We have a situation where a young child has suddenly passed away while in the care of Saul at home by himself. It is, of course, the officer's duty of care and job to start asking questions 
and to try to get to the bottom of what may have happened. But it wouldn't be the end of the questioning, as detectives then asked Saul to go with them to the station. From there, they asked um, if I could accompany them to the, to the police station. By that time, you know, my, my parents, my, my, my brother, my neighbours have all gathered outside the, the house. Uh, they have no idea what's going on. My in-laws are out there too, but they have no idea what's going on. Um, the police is not telling them anything. They have not even told them that she's, you know, she, she's, she, she's been declared dead at the hospital. So the, one of the detectives, Detective Aguirre, asked me to accompany him to the police station. And so um, I said, yes, no problem. Um, they didn't even give me a chance to change. I'm wearing my pajama pants and a t-shirt. I got some sandals on, so I walk out and go like that. While in the car driving to the station, Saul says the questioning continued. And so on the way to the police station, we ride in his car and, uh, you know, he starts asking about the family and uh, what do I do for a living and have I ever gotten mad at the kids? Have I ever punished them? Have I ever started, you know, asking questions like that? I'm like, wait a minute, where, where's this going? And I said, no, of course not. You know, I love these kids. I love my kids. I love... Susana's kids, you know, they're my, they're my nieces and nephews. And so we uh, continue just talking. You know, he's making it seem like it's just a conversation, which is, you know, in my mind is nothing, nothing bad. So we get there to the station and uh, he asked me to repeat everything that happened. So I did, you know, I told him about the couch, her falling on the couch and checking for bumps and nothing. And I did tell him about the diarrhea. I did tell him that the diarrhea in the morning, diarrhea in the afternoon, in the evening. So he states the questioning started off quite reasonable, asking simple background questions about the family, about himself and the living situation. However, he says this would soon switch to becoming more accusatory and aggressive when a different officer takes over. And then he walked out and one of his uh, co-workers came in and kind of started asking some tougher questions, you know, did you do this? Did you hit her at any time? You know, has, have you ever hit her? And we know that you must have done something. And I said, no, no, this is all I know. Now, when we're there, uh, they did ask me about the day before, about Thanksgiving. So I explained to, to them that uh, Claudia and the kids, myself, had gone to my mom's house for Thanksgiving and had spent uh, most of the day over there because we had gone early to help up with the turkey and the ham, you know, cook everything. And so we had left early that morning and Susana had stayed behind at the house, but they were going to go to Susana's other sister's house um, where her family was going to gather. And so they they went to that gathering and there was a lot of people over there um, and I mean, that's all I knew at the time. So after having me there, oh God, it was maybe, we got to the station maybe about 12 o'clock. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the time now, but it was maybe about 12 o'clock and they had me there until about, oh boy, I want to say maybe seven in the morning with no sleep, uh, no food, no water. Eventually, police would let Saul go, but it wasn't long before he was back in the interrogation room. They said, uh, well, you know, you can, you can't go to your house. We can go with you and you guys can pick up some stuff from there, mm-hmm. but you can't stay at your house today. 
because we're conducting the investigation. I said, that's fine. Uh, so they escorted us over there, and I grabbed some clothes, and Claudia and the kids grabbed some clothes, and Susana did too. And so we went to my mom's house, uh, and we were there maybe for an hour. We went to a funeral home to uh, make arrangements. At that time, it's still not really hitting any of us. You know, we're still in denial. We're still like, no, this is not happening. Um, I got, you know, by that time, my mom and my my sister are calling everybody in the family so they're all calling the house and we're still trying to figure out what, what was you know what happened a few hours later detective aguirre calls and, and wants to talk to me so i get on the phone and he says uh, can you uh, susana victor and claudia come to the, the station i want to ask you a couple more questions we're like okay yeah no problem i mean again i have nothing to hide you know thinking neither do any of us you know and so we we go to the station and they separate me immediately from, from them. They keep them in another room and they take me separately. And then they start just with the accusations and asking questions and harassing. So again, like in so many of the situations we discuss, Saul had absolutely no legal representation during any of his interviews or interrogations. He started off the same way that so many do, saying, well, I know I'm innocent, I've done nothing wrong, I've got nothing to hide. Only guilty people need a lawyer. There is many reasons why you should have a lawyer present when being interviewed by the police. And the main factor being is, they know the law. There are certain questions asked of you that you don't legally have to answer. Of course, you don't have to say anything at all. Police may lie to you, as we know, about evidence they have. Or, like in Saul's case, where he states, they start making threats that they can't legally carry out in order to get you to cooperate. Well, one of the things they started saying was, uh, first they started saying that uh, if I would tell them whatever they wanted to hear, not the truth, but whatever they wanted to hear, uh, then they would talk to the DA on my behalf and you know, take it easy on me. And, and I'm like, take it easy on me for what? I haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. And then they said, uh, well, you know, it's, it's simple as this, you know, if he didn't do it, then it had to be somebody else in your family that did it. And I said, no, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. What, what? And so they started, you know, going back and forth saying, well, if you don't tell us what we want to hear, we're going to go ahead and arrest Susana, and then we're going to go ahead and arrest uh, Claudia. Because if it wasn't you, it had to be one of them. And I said, one of them for what? What are you talking about? And they said, well, you know, one of you killed uh, Jasmine. So if it wasn't you, it had to be one of them. They said, you don't want to lose your wife because she'll be put away for, for a long time and then you'll be stuck with the kids by yourself. First of all, my, you know, they're my kids, so that would not be stuck. Uh, but second of all, you know, my mind, I'm like, no, I had nothing to do with, you know. And so they kept, they kept on, they kept on saying, well, we're going to have to put Claudia away for a long time. Um, if it wasn't you, then it had to be them. And I said, no, no, there's no way. And then they said, well, okay, fine. If it wasn't you, then it had to be one of your kids. Um, you told me earlier that Lupita had to carry her downstairs, right? I said, yeah, so so she's big enough to be able to hurt her. So she could, it must have been her. She must have done this. And I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. They said, well, simple as this. We're going to tell you what happened. You're going to agree to it. And then... We won't go after them. But if you don't agree to it, then we're going to go after her. We're going to take her away. 
system or unless you know we can just put all of you away and then your kids will have to go to, to a home and possibly you'll probably never see them again. Now I must point out this situation is a case of he said, she said, or he said, he said in this case, because the detectives have denied any sort of coercion or threatening behaviour during these interrogations. Now usually we would be able to check the tapes, audio, video, but in this situation there is actually no audio or video recordings of any of Saul's interrogations. Here's Jane from Proclaim Justice. I believe that nothing, no part of this interrogation was recorded. Is that right? Correct. So no audio, no video. Correct. But they had full ability to be able to do at least one of those things. Yes. That is odd. I mean, most of the time they record these things for the purposes of going to trial, for instance, so that they can say, well, look, here he he is giving his, you know, his account of what happened. Here he is. And I feel like if there isn't a recording, they should have to prove that it wasn't coerced, you know, but that's not how our law goes. So just why none of this was recorded is still unsure. However, detectives in the case were asked about it during a motion to suppress. Detective Jimmy Aguirre was asked, question, does the police department have video recording equipment? Answer, at present time, we have it in our office. We didn't have it at the time. Question, did you have a tape recorder in the police station that you could have audio recorded the interrogation? Answer, yes, sir. Question, are you aware of any policy in the El Paso Police Department that prohibits the recording of the interrogation of a suspect? Answer, no, sir. So again, it's important to note that no wrongdoing has ever been found against any of the detectives involved in this case. And they categorically deny any coercion that happened during Saul's interrogations. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I track down my own independent pathologist to take a look at the medical examiner's report stating the cause of young Jasmine's death to be a homicide. They're pointing to this report that states that um, these internal injuries could only have been caused by blunt force trauma. And obviously, you know why they say that? Why is that? Because they have no imagination. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. So you may be wondering if things began to get more accusatory and aggressive in the interrogations, then why did Sal still not have any legal representation? Well, he says that he did, in fact, on more than one occasion, ask to speak with a lawyer. And it kept going on and on and on. I mean, and, you know, one would get in my face and just start screaming and, using profanity and just uh, threatening, you know, what kind of monster are you and you did this and you did that. Um, and I kept telling him no. A couple of times I asked, you know, I said, I need to speak to an attorney. And, oh, we can't talk to the DA on your behalf if you're going to want an attorney. And I, said, I don't care about the, you know, the DA. I just want to talk to an attorney. Um, I kept telling him I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Why are you guys doing this? We know it was you. We know it was you. And then they started telling me their version, whatever they thought had happened. And um, pretty much what they said was, you know, you got upset because you got, she got uh, feces on your sweater when you were changing her diaper. And you got mad and then you struck her four times in the stomach. Um, and that's how you ended up killing her. Apparently there was uh, four little bruises on her abdomen that, uh, their supervisor had told them about from the autopsy. And that's how they started saying all these things, that that's the way it had happened. So an autopsy would conclude that little Jasmine's death was as a result of, and I quote, homicide, immediate cause, blunt force injuries to the abdomen. Now, I have a copy of the autopsy, and I'll be honest, I would have a better chance of understanding a flat pack manual from Ikea than I do the autopsy. So, of course, it's time for an expert. Dr. Young. Hello, Dr. Young. It is Jack Lawrence. How are you, sir? Doing well, sir. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much. Dr. Young is a forensic pathologist with over 30 years' experience. He was also the Jackson County Medical Examiner for over a decade, serving as the Chief Death Investigator for Metropolitan Kansas City. Also the author of a brilliant book called The Sherlock Effect, a fascinating subject that we will hear more about in a bonus episode with Dr. Young soon. However, focusing on this case in particular, I sent Dr. Young the examiner's report and asked if he would give his professional opinion on the findings. In this particular case, somebody has conjured up child abuse. Did anybody witness child abuse? No. There is no witness account of abuse. No. 
Okay, now there are lots of people that have beliefs about things and they use their intuition, right? I mean, come on, we do this all the time. We, we see things and we conjure up things in our mind. We use our intuition. Okay, but the thing about court is intuition is not enough. You got to have evidence. Where, where's the evidence of child abuse here? They're pointing to this report that states that um, these internal injuries could only have been caused by blunt force trauma. And obviously, you know you... why they say that? Why is that? Because they have no imagination and they are not following the witness accounts. Okay, if you look at near the end of the autopsy report, what it says there is that the brother-in-law was taking care of the baby and the baby fell, right? Yeah. So the, the, uh, the baby was picked up. The brother-in-law did not see anything wrong with the baby. In fact, he went ahead and changed the diaper. Nothing's wrong with the baby after the fall, all right? Yeah. Then we have another witness. It, I think it's, what, the mother or somebody? Yes. Who comes in there and... She looks in on the child and she sees that the child is, is alive. That's what the narrative says. Mm. She doesn't see anything wrong with the child. Okay. Then she goes and um, takes care of another child and then comes back and sees that the child has stopped breathing. Okay. You know what happens when, when, when a child like that stops breathing. They call 911 and they do CPR. Oh, right. so the CPR, that's blunt force trauma because I mean, CPR is quite a heavy act to perform on someone. Okay, you, have you noticed here that I am focusing now on witness accounts? Yeah. Okay, yeah. now let me give you something a little further to think about. You can calculate the estimated blood volume of a child from their weight, okay? Yeah. The child weighs 26 pounds at autopsy. That calculates to an estimated blood volume of 826 cc's, okay? Yeah. If you look at the autopsy report, you will notice that there's 175 cc's of blood loss into the peritoneal cavity, which is you know where the intestines are and all the belly organs. 175 cc's of loss there, another 20 cc's in the right pleural space, and then the doctor is estimating from blood clot underneath the liver and in different areas. Altogether, you come up with 265 cc's. If you take all those numbers and you add them up, it's 265 cc's. Okay, for a child to go into shock from blood loss requires a blood loss of greater than 50% of the estimated blood volume. This is a characteristic of what is done in emergency rooms here when they're trying to figure out if the child is in trouble and yeah. how to uh, replace any lost blood. Yeah. Okay, you calculate out the estimated blood loss here, it's 32%. So well below. In other words, it's not sufficient for the child to die from it. Yeah. Okay, now consider something else. Let's say the child goes into cardiac arrest for some reason, and we don't know why, okay? Because there are things that we don't witness, okay, a lot of times. It's just that the child stopped breathing. So it's, the child goes into cardiac arrest. They start doing CPR. Now, CPR, it's about 100 compressions a minute. If you take a CPR course, and I'm sure you have them in Australia. Yes. Uh, they tell you, you you do about 100 compressions a minute up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. They tell you that in an infant, you're usually using two fingers and you're placing it over the sternum and you're pushing down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up. But let's say you don't have any CPR training and you're doing what you see on the TV. And instead of placing your hand over the sternum, which a lot of people don't even know what the sternum is, you put your hands over the the center of the body of the child. Where do you think the center of the body of the child is? Well, right in the abdomen. Exactly right. 
And so you're going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down frantically because this child has stopped breathing. What do you think you're going to do on the inside of that baby? Cause some pretty serious damage, I'd imagine. Exactly right. Now, I just want to jump in here quickly and make an interesting observation on what Dr. Young is saying. Because in one of the two official written police statements made by Saul, yes, there are two and we'll get to that later. But in the first account of that evening, Saul talks about the moment he begins to give baby Jasmine CPR. He says, and I quote, I started pressing on Jasmine's chest, just with one hand and then both hands, attempting to give her CPR. I then put my mouth on her mouth and started blowing air into her mouth. I do not know CPR, but I was trying. You're going to tear the small bowel mesentery. Which is what happened. Okay. And also, you can see that there's some bruises of the heart. So the hands could be shifting all over the place in frantic CPR because there's several bruises. There's bruises of the lower lobes of the lungs. There was bruise in the heart. Uh, there's small intestinary. But there's not enough blood loss to cause death. Well, if the child's heart stops ble- beating, there's no circulating blood volume. And all you're doing is you're just pushing up and down and up and down on a child whose heart is not beating or maybe has been beating for some of the time, but not the entire time, then you're not going to have enough blood loss. Okay, now, here is what I am not doing. I am not saying that this is exactly what happened. What I am saying is what I'm describing here is what could have happened. It's consistent. Saul would sign a typed statement on the 29th of November 2003. Time commenced 3.05am. Time completed 6.10am. In this very detailed lengthy statement, Saul outlines the events of that evening as he has already explained to us in this show. He's looking after Jasmine while the family are out. She falls from the sofa. He checks her, calms her down, changes her nappy and clothes due to diarrhoea, places her in pyjamas and takes her to bed. He will continue to check on her through the evening until the family comes home. Jasmine's mother goes into her room and finds her not breathing. Saul then attempts CPR until the medics arrive. This would be the first of two statements. Eventually, Saul says that detectives wear him down. They tell him his version of events that evening is not what had happened and the injuries that the child sustained must have been done by someone and if not him maybe his wife, or possibly one of his children. If he didn't do it, someone did, and that someone would be arrested. And so they wrote this statement out. (laughs) They wrote this statement out and said, you need to sign this. If you don't sign this, we're going to put your wife away for a long time. We're going to take away your kids. She'll never be able to see them again. Um, She'll never be able to see them again. So you either sign this or that'll be the end of your kids. I love my kids. I give my life for my kids. The more they threaten me with that, the more I say, you know what? Fine, it's whatever you say. Just leave my kids alone. Don't, don't, don't touch my wife. Don't touch my kids. I figured, you know, we'll get an attorney. We'll, they'll get to the bottom of this, and they'll let me, they'll let me go eventually. You know, mm-hmm. I, I knew I had nothing to hide. I knew I'm innocent. So I said, there's no way. Justice will be done. They'll let me out. So after threatening and threatening and threatening to take my kids away and to take put my wife away, um, 
and they, I finally said, you know what, fine, give me the paper, I'll sign it. Um, by this time, I had not slept in, well, way, way, way over 24 hours for sure. Um, I had not had anything to eat. I had not had any rest. I mean, it was, I was, I was stressed out. I was, I was, you know, they kept, they kept on and on and on, just threatening to take my kids away, threatening to put my wife away. And, and I wasn't going to let that happen. I was not going to let that happen. Saul signs a new statement. One that he says the detectives had typed up for him. A far shorter statement, dated 29th of November 2023, commenced at 9.08pm, concluded at 9.40pm. The following is taken from that statement. My name is Saul Manuel Contreras. I am 30 years of age. This is a second statement that I've provided to Detective Aguirre this same date. I read and signed a small white card that explains my rights prior to giving this statement, just as I did the first statement. I understand my rights, and I have not been forced in any way to provide this statement that I am giving of my own free will. I am sitting in the same cubicle that I gave my statement earlier, I am not handcuffed at this time, and I am drinking a bottle of water that Detective Aguirre gave me. I fully understand that at this point, I am being charged with the death of my niece, Jasmine Contreras. Jasmine, her mother, and her other siblings have been staying at my home for the past month and a half. My wife and I took them in because they did not have a place to stay. I have two stepchildren myself and I love them just as much as I love Jasmine and her brothers and sisters. I am cooperating with this investigation, as I am sorry for what happened last night at my home. Jasmine and her little sister Delilah were left at my home, and I was responsible for them, as they were in my care. I have taken care of them and their siblings many times, and this type of incident had not happened. I did not work yesterday but I was tired due to the Thanksgiving festivities, so I decided to not join the rest of my family to a gathering at Chuck E. Cheese. The both kids that I have mentioned stayed with me so I could care for them. My family left around 6.30pm, and both of the mentioned kids were asleep at the time. I was in my bedroom watching the basketball games, and about one hour later I heard Jasmine cry. I went to where she was, which was in the living room on the couch, and she was sitting up at the time. She was crying and she woke up Delilah who was still asleep in her car seat on the living room floor. I gave Delilah her bottle that she had beside her and I told Jasmine to lay down on the couch and go back to sleep. Jasmine lay back down and then I started walking back to my bedroom. I told her to be quiet but she would not stop crying. I picked her up and tried to calm her down and she started to cry even more. I smelled that she'd pooped so I took her upstairs to her room and I laid her on the floor and turned on the light to the bedroom. I got a diaper and wipes and I started changing her. She had pooped all over her stomach area and she was laying on the carpeted floor. At that point, she kept crying and I started cleaning her and got some poop on my sweater. I began to wipe her and she started kicking, so I told her to stop. 
and she just kept kicking. I do not know what came over me, and I just punched her pretty hard in her stomach with my right closed fist. I think that it was about four times that I punched her with my right closed fist, and with the same amount of force. She finally calmed down, and just kept like taking deep breaths, like when kids stop crying. I finished putting her diaper on, and I took off her clothes because they were all wet. I left her lying on the floor and went downstairs to take her sword clothing to the washer that is in the garage. I grabbed an undershirt and her blue pyjamas from the garage. I sat Jasmine on her bed, lower bunk bed in the bedroom, while she kept looking at me and was kind of moaning. I laid her on her bed and I might have asked her where she hurt, but she did not respond and she just kept looking at me. I covered her halfway and she closed her eyes and I told her good night. I went downstairs and I went back upstairs to check on her approximately 15 minutes later and she was still moaning a little bit. I really didn't think that her moaning was that serious. She did not yell at me at the time that I struck her with my closed fist. She did not really cry loud or anything, she just stared at me like she was in shock. I went back downstairs and I think I might have checked on her one more time before that and she was still moaning a little bit. I went back downstairs and started watching the game and I heard the front door open a few minutes later at the time that my family arrived home. Susanna eventually asked me if Jasmine had been asleep all that time and I told her yes, except for when she'd fallen off the couch and had started crying and had woken up Delilah. I made up the story of her falling off the couch because I was scared at the time. Later on, Susanna came back downstairs and she came running and asking me if I'd allowed Jasmine to sleep straight after she'd supposedly fallen off the couch and struck her head. I told her no. I told her that I'd changed her and had laid her down for a while and that I had taken her upstairs after she'd fallen asleep. I asked her why she was asking and she explained that Jasmine was not moving. I went upstairs and saw that Jasmine was laying in her bed, was not moving and she looked lifeless. I touched her right cheek and she felt very cold. I started to do compressions on her chest with one hand and then with both hands and then started to do mouth to mouth on her. I saw that her chest and her stomach were not moving. I pressed on her stomach once with my open hand and felt that her stomach was very hard to the touch. I then continued doing compressions until the first officer arrived and they told me to step aside while they continued doing CPR. They told me to take the kids downstairs and EMS got there. The shirt that got some poop on it that I was wearing when I changed the baby was a long sleeve khaki sweater that should still be in the dirty hamper in the garage. I will close my statement by saying that I am just very sorry for what happened and it shouldn't have happened. I was not thinking when I struck Jasmine in her stomach and I did not think that her injuries caused by me punching her multiple times were life-threatening. I have read this statement and even though it is not in my exact words, I find it to be true and correct. Signed, Saul Contreras. You have one minute remaining. And that's where we'll leave it for now. Coming up in our next episode, Saul is officially charged and sent to jail 
to await trial for murder. A wait that would last over two years. As it would seem, it was a case that no district attorney wanted to touch. And that assistant DA uh, ran it and said, now I do not want this trial, so they gave it to a third assistant DA, who immediately said, you know, no, I looked through it and there's nothing there, so I don't want this. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.